This is Rabbi Akiva's wife discussing Emuna. This is our third podcast on this subject. As we've mentioned, the concept of Emuna is generally translated as faith. Yet, we know that the Torah requires that we know God exists, not have, quote-unquote, only faith that he exists. And so the question that we've been dealing with is how can we come to know the existence of God if we have not ourselves experienced God firsthand? And that's a very difficult question because it's a very big requirement. And if we want to take Judaism and the words of the Torah seriously, it needs a serious answer. We've also pointed out that the difference between faith and knowledge is tremendously reflected in how committed a person will be to activities based on that faith or knowledge. We mentioned buying stocks that a person believes are going to increase versus knowing that they're going to increase. And that's just an example of how that would apply to important issues like the knowledge that something is good and healthy for me versus a belief that something is good and healthy for me. And so what I would like to do today is build the general construct for how we know something and discuss how it applies in terms of knowing the existence of God. My general definition for how a human being knows something and acts upon it is based on a person's finding a tremendous amount of information, uh, what we call a preponderance of evidence that points in a certain direction, combined with an overwhelming logic that compels a person to say, this is true. I accept this as something that I know, versus this is something that I don't really know, but I believe. A good example of that is how a person knows that his parents are his parents without without having ever done a DNA test, or how a person knows that countries that he's never visited exist, or how a person knows that characters in history that he's never met have existed. All of those different things which every single person in the world that is rational comes to know, they come to know through the combination of a preponderance of evidence combined with an overwhelming logic. Those two factors together propel a person into knowing something to being true versus believing something to be true. So, I think that the way that we can explain that as it pertains to the existence of God is as follows. First of all, we as Jews have a preponderance of evidence in the forms of written history, such as the entire Tanakh, which includes all of the prophets and all of the stories contained in the prophets, that reference many, many geographical locations, maps that are, for the most part, very accurate uh, and reflected in today's understanding of the geography, refers to characters in history that the whole world accepts as having existed, whether it be Moshe Rabbeinu or Avraham Avinu, Moses and Abraham, or whether it be the wisdom that the world has come to accept laws of social justice and morality that the world as a whole has generally embraced as 
having wisdom and validity and importance. So all of this is part of our preponderance of evidence. In addition to that, in that same category of preponderance of evidence, is an oral tradition of generation upon generation practicing and observing a Passover Seder. We have historical records of Haggadahs for close to 2,000 years where people said the same words about God taking us out of Egypt and the services surrounding that Seder, including history of what happened, miracles of what happened, and so on. In addition to that oral history, all that oral history is backed up by the written history of the Torah and so on. In addition to that, in terms of a preponderance of evidence, we have the very existence of Jerusalem and the excavations of the Holy Temple that was there and many, many other archaeological pieces of information from the last several thousand years that strongly show the presence of Jewish life surrounded, or I should say surrounding a temple, including dozens or hundreds of ritual immersion pools, mikvaos, around the Holy Temple. And so, with all of this together, including many other things that we don't have time uh, to discuss, it seems that we have a tremendous amount of information that supports the concept of God existing, the Jewish people in that um, framework with God existing. And that is one piece of the puzzle of coming to know. Because all of this information, the land of Israel, the knowledge of the Torah, the history, is all built on the acceptance of the fact that God is true and that these were the things that God instructed and this is how we commemorate all of these things. In addition to that preponderance of evidence, we also have the logic of God's existence. And by that I mean that it's very, very difficult to imagine how anything came to be. And in science, we have the discovery of the Big Bang Theory. And that theory is that everything came out of one atom, A-T-O-M. And however the scientists arrive at that conclusion that that's the way in which things emerged, it always begs the question of where did that first atom come from? And truthfully, science is not dealing in a logic that would answer that question. Science prefers to say that they didn't yet know the answer to that question of where did the first atom come from, and maybe at some point they won't know. My issue with that is that unless they introduce a totally different kind of logic, it doesn't sound like that question could ever have an answer, because even if you find out where the first atom came from, we'll be back to the question, okay, well, where did that come from? And I think that the truthful, logical explanation is not that we have to figure out what came before that. We have to figure out that there has to be something that doesn't come from anything. And in Judaism, that thing that doesn't come from anything is called God, what we call the prime cause. The prime cause means that there's something that existed that came from nothing that is the cause of everything else. 
And if we ask the question, okay, but where did that prime cause come from? I believe that the real answer to that question is that the prime cause cannot come from anything. Because the only logical explanation to where the first thing came from is that there is something that is everything. And by everything we mean all matter, all imaginable types of existence and things that we human beings cannot imagine all come from that prime cause. And so therefore it's very similar to asking the question, where does everything come from? By everything we mean everything that a person could possibly think of as being anything. Time, space, matter, all of that. Where did everything come from? The answer is that at some point there is something that is the everything and everything can't come from somewhere or else it would not be everything. Everything can't come from something else if it's everything because it's everything. And so asking where did God come from when we understand what God really is is the same thing as asking where does everything come from? Meaning where does the beginning of anything start? And that beginning would be everything. So everything doesn't have a beginning. It just simply is everything. And this is what the rabbis mean when they talk about Hashem Echad, that God is one. Everything that's in creation is a reflection of him. Anything that exists, any creation that God did, ultimately at some level existed in some fashion that we don't really understand how before he created it because God is everything. God is everything that can be. Any possibility of anything, God has as part of his beingness. Now, we said that it would be overwhelmingly logical to truly understand God as the everything and to truly understand all of those implications is extremely hard and difficult. That's not what I mean by overwhelmingly logical. What I mean by overwhelmingly logical is that if we're going to answer the question of where does the first thing come from, the answer has to be something that will include everything. I believe that that is overwhelmingly logical. How do we explain how that works? <laughs> That's a lifetime and more of trying to understand. But to understand that philosophically, we only stop asking the question, where does the first thing come from? If there isn't something that includes everything, I think that's overwhelmingly logical. In addition to that logic of answering the question, where does the first thing come from? And that first thing has to be everything. We have many other aspects of the logic that make sense, such as how do we have a world that actually works as perfectly as it does? We have a globe called planet Earth hanging out in the middle of space. We don't ever even really think about why aren't we falling off the side of this planet and why isn't the Earth itself falling? We don't even ever consider that a question. And to say that, well, there's a gravity pull that works a certain way and the cosmos work a certain way and the oxygen in our atmosphere works a certain way and that allows for plant life which works a certain way and that allows for human beings to get sustained that that somehow all just happened without a prime cause in my opinion is absurd so what's overwhelmingly logical is that intelligent design makes sense and 
the infinitely small possibility of all these things actually operating in a way that functions as perfectly as it does, being an accident is absurd. So we combine the philosophical question of where does the first thing come from, the first thing being the everything, with the logic of how things actually work so well, also being built on the idea that there's intelligent design and a prime cause, those two things together, it's an even more compelling, overwhelming logic. So we, we combine the overwhelming logic of the first thing being everything with the fact that things operate so smoothly in our entire universe and universes beyond with the preponderance of evidence of the Torah being true, of the history being true, of the oral tradition being true, of everything referenced in the Torah being true. And I believe we come with the very clear understanding that it is compelling to know that God exists, not to believe. So if we really want to internalize this concept, then we really have to ask ourselves, does it make sense to say any other possibility? Is there any other possibility that could possibly make sense, resonate as true? And just like to me, it doesn't make sense that my parents are not my parents and countries that I never visited exist, uh, don't exist, I should say, and many other examples like that, I am perfectly willing to know that God exists with the same kind of logic and information and evidence. So the question that we're left with is, if we know that God exists, what does emunah really mean? If the requirement is to know, and that word is yudia, but there's also a requirement called emunah, what does emunah mean? We will address that question on the next podcast. But for today, we're explaining how we are Yodea, that God exists, how we know that God exists, and we leave with the question, what is Emuna and why is Emuna a necessary ingredient? And we know that it's a necessary ingredient because the Torah, which talks about Yedea, in certain cases talks about Emuna. For example, Vayaminu Ba'ashem, with Moshe Avdo, they seem to have Muna and Hashem and Moshe a servant, in you they will believe forever. Again, if we translate, Muna as belief, you will have Muna. And the rabbis rule that we need to have Muna because Maimonides rules that when it comes to the existence of God to be Yodea as well as to have Muna. Ramban and Nachmanides and the Aserosidibers also says that by the Ten Commandments. And Ramchal also says that in the beginning of the Derech Hashem. So we do need to define still what Emuna is, and God willing, we will address that the next time.